You are now tuned into Accelerate to Great Podcast with Nehemiah Davis, a podcast for aspiring and established entrepreneurs looking for their next level of greatness. Welcome back to another episode of Accelerate the Great. I'm your host, Nehemiah Davis, and today I got a super duper treat for you guys. Um, I said every single episode, I'm going to keep saying, I'll bring you some of the greatest entrepreneurs in the world. And when I say this, I really mean it. And today, I got a super treat for you because I'm bringing my friend Dawn on here, and she is one of the leading entrepreneurs in the tech industry like i don't know too many entrepreneurs in tech who i can personally reach out to and i can with her and she's one of the leading entrepreneurs she's raised millions from stages she's just an amazing communicator all around ball she's built several million dollar companies and the company she's building right now i don't know it might be billion dollars i don't know because something that i know about her she does not stop at she doesn't stop until the goal is achieved. And then when it's achieved, she sets a higher one. So without further ado, guys, I want to introduce my friend, my friend tour, all around amazing boss and businesswoman, Dawn, to the show. What's up, Dawn? Man, what's up? Thanks for having me. You make me sound so good. I better live up to this. Hey, listen, that's the truth. Man, listen to me. You, you, you did my old call like two, two years ago about raising funds. When I say I had notebooks of just not pages of just all the strategies and all the tips you shared. That was one of our most valuable calls we ever did. I know you said, hey, we got to do another one, but there's no perfect time like the present. We just launched the podcast. And my goal today is just for us to be able to teach people kind of how you got to where you got to, right? And just be able to share people, how can they raise money? That's something everybody wants to do. How do I raise money for my business? How do I grow, right? So you've been in this, you're no stranger to the entrepreneur phase, uh, space. Can you tell us a little bit about how you actually got started in uh, just being an entrepreneur? I know the story, but I want everybody to kind of know. I, what, I love know. to share it. And thanks for the opportunity to share yep. it. And shout out to all your listeners. And you know, yeah, your squad is thick and y'all always doing something amazing. So I'm in all of you as well as, as an entrepreneur and as a motivator. And you always keep me inspired when I check out the gram, you doing something, you and your fiance all over the world. You know, but um, I've been an entrepreneur 18 years. Um, I went to school for IT. So I went to school for information technology. Um, I went to school for journalism and my second degree is information technology. And um, I'm, you know, I sound like the other Silicon Valley people because I dropped out in my last semester when I was studying, getting for my a Bachelor of Science in IT because I was ready to start something. And I'm like, okay, I got the tech. I don't need to spend another $10,000 to get this degree. I know the skills. And um, really, I was, it was in 2001, and this is gonna, this is gonna tell you my age, but it's the very beginning of, you know, the World Wide Web as a consumer tool. And, and so it was when AOL was sending out these instant messenger CDs in the mail for free to everybody, and things were just getting shaken up, you know? And I'm like, what is going on? What is this tech thing? So that's why I went to school for tech is to get a deeper understanding of technology and how it affects our lives. I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. I love to learn. So I was really curious and I felt like knowing technology um, would enhance my ability to get a job. That was the initial foundation. I was only 20 years old. And I'm like, okay, I need to get a job. So I need tech skills, technical skills, because, you know, this is a new thing. But then once I got into the program, I realized like, wow, technology can really be, you know, adapted to anything. And, and this is going to be so extremely disruptive, the internet and technology 
to the way we live our lives, I just became so thirsty, hungry, like just for the knowledge. And so a friend of mine named Brandon, he kind of felt the same way. And he started to learn how to code on his own. He self-taught learning how to code. And back then we're doing flash, fireworks, freehand, Dreamweaver, HTML. This is the very early days of the web. And we decided to start a website to let people find out what's going on, like entertainment, restaurants, festivals, concerts. Because at this time, there was no such thing as social media. There was no such thing as YouTube. There was no such thing as a smartphone. And the only way to find out what was going on was to get a flyer, like a piece of paper that they gave you. If you had to go out to get a flyer, you couldn't be in your house and get a flyer. You had to go out and seek for entertainment. And we were like, you know, let's use some of our technology skills and let's build a website that's just like tells people what to do, what's going on. And at the time, it wasn't called a tech company. Nobody even took it serious as a company. They're looking like, okay, you got a website. How are you going to make money from that? Like, what is a website? A lot of people didn't even, businesses didn't even have websites in 2001, 2002. So it was a really new tool. But that said, it really blew up because, you know, I had already been to school. I had my marketing background and, um, you know, worked a lot already. By the time I was 21, I had interned for years and I definitely had a skill set in marketing. So we really were able to blow it up and we were getting over 100,000 hits a month unique in our community, Central Ohio. But keep in mind, this is from desktops. There was no laptops like this. There were no smartphones. People were logging onto their PCs and checking out our website. And we had streaming video, you know, right? Basically, we had streaming video before YouTube. Um, we had streaming music on our website before all these streaming music platforms came out. So we were just really, really early into the game, but at the same time, young black entrepreneurs didn't even know what we were doing at all, really, and just you know trying to build, trying to build something. So that's how I started, and it just evolved from there. Um, doing what I did, it just evolved. Uh, it's crazy. First, guys, if you're watching this on, if you're listening to the podcast or watching on YouTube, she looks every bit of 24. So I'm trying to figure out how did that even yeah. how did that happen. But my question, though, like. You were ahead of your time, though. Did you get that from somewhere? You talking about internships 20 years ago. You talking about tech, like starting a website. People don't have websites in 2019. You're talking about 20, 2001, where even starting it was probably like, how do you start? They didn't have no plug and play templates. There was no Wix. There was no templates. So where did that come from? Did you have a mom, a dad, a myth? Like, where did, or were you born? Like, I'm trying to. I'm, you're a visionary. So where, how was this created? Like the, it was sparked in me, you know, definitely I have an entrepreneurial family, but a, a small business or entrepreneur is very different than a tech entrepreneur. It's a very different type of mindset to build technology. Usually well, where I come from in, when I was younger, being an entrepreneur really meant like you had a accounting business or a daycare or my home remodeling like my father did or you know my family had a demolition company a service business not really an inventor you know we were inventors and innovators and I didn't even realize what that was because it was so early I didn't realize that I was inventing things and back then of course like you said there was no templates so my my partner Brandon had to code everything hard code everything there was no such thing as like a MailChimp or a constant contact or nothing like that. Like we send out email blasts every week in BCC on AOL. There was only a few types of emails you could get AOL, Yahoo, 
you know, Indeed or something like that. But it was just, I don't know where it came from. It just was sparked within me that I knew that tech was going to change the world. And I was in Columbus, Ohio, where I'm from, and I didn't have any mentors in tech. I didn't see anybody black in tech. I just felt strongly that having this skill set would, would really help me to get a solid career and make a lot of money because I also looked up the salaries. And so when I went to school for journalism, the starting salary coming out of school was $21,000 a year for that. But coming out of school doing business analysts, which is essentially someone that um, would evaluate um, internet systems, they started at 45 to 55,000. And I was 21 years old. I'm like, heck yeah, I'm taking that. I'll take that 50,000, you know, instead of this 20,000. So initially I was driven by money as well. I mean, I'm a very ambitious person. So of course I wanted to make money and I seen there was more money in the tech space, but then that just ignited my, my true love and my true passion for innovation. And I started to be a consultant and help other people. So after having my, my website with Brandon and I for six years, I started a consulting company called D1 Consulting, where I really just helped other businesses to do what I'd done with, with their setting up, um, internet, online, digital marketing strategies and, and websites and um, just bringing your business into the digital space, like really helping to power the digital revolution. Because at this time, most businesses and nonprofits weren't on the line at all. So small businesses and nonprofits. So I worked primarily with small businesses and nonprofits to help them get an online presence. And I did that for, for several years, and then, which led me then to start Flat Out of Heels, which was 2011. So how many companies have you had? Have any companies fell? Anything? No, I haven't, you know, and, and I, I haven't had a company that I consider to be a failure. So our website, it, it did really well. We made money, our living from selling ads online and selling ads in our email blast. We got an acquisition offer, which at the time, I didn't know it, was, it wasn't called acquisition. Somebody was like, I'll buy this from you. Actually, it's my good friend, Dante Lee, who owns Black PR. And he was like, back in the day, because we've been friends all these years he's like dawn let me buy this i'm buying up you know domains and i'm creating this media empire black pr and let me buy urban star and he gave us an offer it was probably like fifty thousand dollars and my partner was like no i'm not selling it this is my baby and i'm like you know i, I kind of outgrew the business so my partner took it over he started he kept doing it until he couldn't do it anymore and we kind of just let it dissolve so it didn't fail. We just kind of outgrew it. it just right. got and the reason why I asked you fell, not saying it <laughs> fell, but most entrepreneurs, they got a story of some sort of failure. But for you, I mean, you. So there's failures all along the route of success. Absolutely. Many, many failures. So I started four companies. You know, my, my, my media company that I talked about, Urban Star, my consulting company, which is still an active company to this day, started in 2005. I still do consulting work under D1 Consulting to this day. So it's still going on. I just got a check today. Then um, I started Flat Out of Heels 2011, um, which was a shoe business. It still is in business. I just got a really big deal with DSW. And um, starting in May, uh, you can buy a certain amount of products from, uh, from DSW and get a free pair of Flat Out of Heels, and they're co-branded with DSW. But those are rollable ballet flats to wear when your feet hurt. And that really stemmed from me being a woman wearing heels, my feet hurt. I wanted to come up with a solution. I wanted to sell them in vending machines and I wanted to try out a consumer product because I never had brought a product to market. So that was my first time conceptualizing a product, a physical good, you know, designing it, manufacturing it, importing into the United States, learning all the rules around customs and, you know, all these things. 
learning the rules around distribution and selling on Amazon, selling on uh, Shopify, selling on, I mean, so many sites. We had a huge distribution for a few years and then uh, decided to pivot that business to now B2B. So of the four businesses, three are still in business. That's so. incredible. When I, I told you guys, like, I think she's one of the most incredible entrepreneurs I know. Dawn, I want to talk about raising funds. A lot of people want to be able to raise funds, right? I believe you're an incredible communicator. I watched you on one of your Instagram lives. Someone was holding it up. You were at a pitch competition raising funds, one there um, some months back. And I want to talk about if you were doing it over again, how would we, we were talking to this new entrepreneur, someone getting started, they need <laughs> some various ways of raising funds now. What, what would be your advice for them? My advice would be not to raise money until you have traction and sales, until you're very clear about your product. Um, my, my advice is if you can put your product out and get some early adoption, some early customers without raising money, do that because your company's worth much more and you can raise at a higher valuation, which means you give up less of your company for money if you have sales. So um, in my business, with my business, Popcom, we are a uh, automated retail technology company. We have hardware and software for self-service retail, which is basically vending machines and kiosks. So this is hardware that I invented. So I had to actually build it before I could sell it. You know, mm -hmm. I tried the route of like taking pre-orders and that didn't work out. That was a failure story. I took $25,000 in pre-orders and couldn't deliver the product because I didn't have manufacturing figured out. I did that twice. So I learned that you, some things you have to raise money for. I believe you only should raise what you need and you should have a very comprehensive understanding of your business model to know how much you need, how you're gonna make money and when you can give this money back. Keep in mind, investor money is not a donation, it is not a gift. You have to pay it back and they want multiple return. They want, you know, ideally in the VC world, they wanna see you 100X that investment, but at least a 10X. So it's not, you know, I don't, I don't take it lightly when I take somebody's money because I know I got to give it back. So keeping that in mind, for flat out, I only raised 250000 I don't say it lightly because only because I know it's not easy. I know the average black woman only raised $36,000 in the life cycle of her business. I don't take it lightly what I have raised, but I am comparing these numbers to the $1.5 million average that, you know, my white male counterparts get from just starting a business. Just, I'm going to start a business. Okay, here goes one point five. There you go, try it out. If it don't work out, here's another 1.5. It don't work like that. So I raised 250,000 from my friends. Literally, my friends from college. How did you do it? Clients. How, is, is this a phone call, is it an email? Like I'm trying to, tell me how. So, so what I did was flat out, this was my, and actually, Urban Star, my very first business, I wrote a business plan and my dad invested 10,000. So I got an investor for that. Same thing with flat out, wrote a business plan. Thoroughly complete business plan, the whole market strategy, go, you know, go to market, how I'm going to get the customer, who are the customers, how we're going to make money, how much does it cost to operate, laid it out. Um, it was a visionary idea to sell shoes and vending machines at the club. Everybody understood that. We were young and partying in Miami and Vegas all the time. We would see the girls walking barefoot. They, they understood it. So I presented this to them and I'm like, hey, I'm looking for investments. And I got it from, you know, high net worth uh, black individuals. All of my angel investors were black. Several of them are former NFL players. And my checks were between 10000 and 90000 from individuals. And it was from creating a business plan, winning. And I went in the early days, so 2011, the very early days of Alibaba. Went on Alibaba, found a manufacturer, got some samples made, took those samples, showed the investors. 
And they didn't give it to me all up front. They gave me 10,000 to get it started and get it going. Okay, let me see what you're doing. Report it. Okay, here's another milestone. Here's some more. So after six months, they went all in. And then over the course of a year and a half, I raised 250,000. And I won about maybe 80,000 in pitch competitions, which was free money. And, and that's what I wanted to talk about. Like when I, <laughs> earlier when I said raised, I'm not just saying guys, Dawn's raising money. A lot of money she can raise is free because of the skill set of communicating that she uh, developed. So Dawn, how do you, when, when you're approaching those stages, what's some things you should be touching on to win? And what are some stages that people can look for to actually raise money through pitch competitions? So I definitely recommend everybody that wants to be an entrepreneur to take some time to check out the website F6S, F6S.com. And that's where globally they list pitch competitions, um, you know, business plan competitions, all the investors are there. And that's a great place to find out. I also have on Google Alerts, pitch competition, literally Google Alerts. Every time pitch competition comes up on Google, it's in my inbox so I can see it. But um not just a pitch competition, but investors in general, partners in general, team members, anybody you want to buy into your vision, whether that be giving their money, their time, their talents, you know, their partnerships, collaborations, you have to be very clear about number one, the problem you're solving. Number two, your solution and why is it unique? Number three, what is the market for it? What is what is what they call the, the SAM? So that's the sustainable addressable market. Total addressable market. If it's TAM, SAM, SOM, know those things. So understand who you're selling to. Understand how much money can you sell this for? How much money does it cost you to either produce that product, create that service? Like, what does it cost you to deliver this product or service? What are your margins? Because they'll say, people will be like, you know what I mean? Oh my gosh, I'm selling this for $20. Let me say this, I'll speak for myself. I'm guilty. I didn't understand my margins completely. I'm selling shoes for $20 and not realizing they're costing me 15 once I factor in not only a product cost, but the shipping um, to me, the, the marketing time that I got to pay somebody to do customer service, the postage, the bags, the, the filler. And once I looked at all my costs, I'm not making a lot of money. So you need to thoroughly and completely understand your margins and if it's even worth doing. And then take a deep look into your skill set. Be self-aware. Can you do this? Can you do this? Do you need help? Who do you need on your team? So all these things need to be thought through completely. What's your business model? How are you going to make money? You know, get the factor in churn. Churn means customers that you lose. We all have churn. We all have customers that, that, that buy from us or use our services and don't want it anymore. You can't think a customer is a lifelong customer. That's where lifetime value comes into play. Understanding the lifetime value, which is how much money is that customer going to spend with you over a lifetime? which can be broken down to a year. So for me, for flat out, I would say my lifetime value is $40 a year because my average customer buys two pairs of shoes a year for $20 a pair. So the lifetime value is $40 a year. Knowing that, how many customers do you need to hit your revenue goal? So all these things need to be thought about clearly before you even jump out there and start something. Wow. Gee. <laughs> Dawn, what? Yeah, you spin it off so effortless. This is how you can tell you've been doing this for a while. It's like you just gave a degree on pitching, like literally, like you just gave a degree on pitching. Because I'm running a lot. I just literally, I just won $125,000 this year in a pitch competition, which was the most I've ever won in a single pitch competition. $125,000. Wow. And the best part about the pitch competition is you don't have to return it. No, it's not. In most cases, it's prize money. 
This particular one is a convertible note. So, um, which is an instrument to raise money. There's several ways. If you're raising money from a third party, from another person, you can raise it as debt or equity. Debt meaning on a convertible note, which they'll give you some money on a future value of your company. That's debt. They're going to want that money paid back in cash with interest or in equity at a discount. Or you could do just a straight up equity, which means you're selling shares of your company. I am very hesitant to encourage entrepreneurs to sell away their company before they really proven out the model and scaled it to validate the value. Um, I've made those mistakes as well. Luckily, I had the privilege of finding a really good attorney to help me to get my shares back. But I almost lost control of my company last year because of the way my documents were structured. Wow. Jeez. Hey, I told you I'm bringing y'all some of the brightest minds in the world. Do you hear this game that Dawn is spitting right now? I'm sure she had to go through a whole lot of trials, tribulations, ups, Lots and of L's. to deliver this information she's delivering to us Lots. right now. Lots of L's for sure. Man, so let me ask you, when it gets to the point of giving away your not giving away, giving away equity, is there like a certain level that you don't want to go by? Like, I don't want to get, of course, we don't want to give any more than 50% because they'll get control and stake. But I know you may like, I don't want to get that much. Is there a certain amount that you don't want to give? Because I know when someone like a Jeff Bezos, he owns a small percentage of Amazon. That's, I think he owns, I think when I read it, it was like, maybe 30 or 20 it was something it wasn't half or anything close to that but it's worth a trillion dollars i mean it's worth a whole lot of money i think his worth his part is worth like 136 billion or 200 so my question to you is is there a level of how much you want to give when you're getting started i know you said you want to give as minimum as possible but when it is time to scale and you do have to raise do you have yeah. any ideas on that? I have a number, you know, I, I really don't plan on going below 45%. Um, most people think that if you have a 51%, that means you have control, but it doesn't. You know, then between ownership and control. So when you take money from investors, there's what you have, your your articles of incorporation, which spell out how that how that entity is governed and what those shares, the value of those shares and the and the weight of those shares. So most Delaware C corporations, which you're required to be a Delaware C corporation in order to, or a C corporation in general, to take money from venture capital. Most of them want you to be incorporated in the state of Delaware because of the, the laws in Delaware. So that said, you're a C corporation, which means that now you have shares. If you're an LLC, you have what's called membership units, which is how you classify what somebody owns. When you own shares, there's laws in that articles of incorporation that govern how those shares are handled and who's in, you know, how the, the organization is managed and the ownership and the control. And what I have really learned, and this is how I, say I almost lost control of my company is that it's not about how much you own. Like for instance, Mark Zuckerberg, he doesn't own 50% of Facebook, but he, he's the controlling shares. He has the most voting rights. It's about the votes. When you have your, what you're required when you raise money to have a board of directors. Even if you're the only person on the board, you're required to have a board of directors and you have to do your meetings, your minutes, and, and everything that happened in the company has to be voted on and approved through the board. Even if it's just you. Like right now, I'm the only board of a director member. I have advisors, nobody else on the board. I gotta still go through the same process if I had 20 board members. So that said, we set up the company where there's several different classes of shares, which is completely legal. In most cases, a company will have preferred shares, 
which means these shares get cashed out before anybody else. I said my company will not have preferred shares because nobody holds weight over anybody else when they cash out, especially they cash out before me. Everybody has common stock, but there's different classes of common stock. You have class A common stock, class B common stock, et cetera, et cetera. Classic example, Berkshire Hathaway. You can go online right now on Stash Abra Robinhood and buy a share in Berkshire Hathaway for a very affordable price. It's a class B share. Those aren't the ones that Warren Buffett and the ones that get invited to that annual meeting. They're holding class A shares. Those class A shares are thousands of dollars a share. Those class B shares, which hold no voting rights, are cheap. Not cheap, but probably $50. So in my case, we have class A and class B shares. I am the only holder of class B shares. Class B shares are the only voting shares in the company. I am the only person that can vote, period. Doesn't matter. I could own 5%. I still have 100% of the vote. I can introduce more people into vote, but my votes still hold the most weight. So I can't be fired. Um, I make the ultimate decisions and I have the control. This is something that a lot of black and other you know, entrepreneurs, they are so focused on the equity that they forget about and they lose control. You don't have any decision making in your company anymore. And now you're an employee. The CEO is an employee of the company. The board controls the company. The board hires and fires the CEO. The board makes decisions. Oftentimes, the CEO has a seat on the board. Sometimes they don't. Look what happened to Elon Musk recently. So that said, you can lose control and have no say-so. So it's really about control. And that is laid out in your articles of incorporation and in your board documents. And that is where we pay the least attention to. So we're just taking all this money, we meaning me, taking all this money, I took over I took a million dollars from investors in 2017 and 16, and I did not pay attention to how those documents were structured and the way that control was structured. I had to go back in and really fight, fight for months to get controlling shares back of my company and restructure my company was called reorganization of my cap table. Capitalization table is the list that shows who has ownership of what and what percentage and how much they get to vote. And I realized that, oh my gosh, I, I'm nobody on this cap table. And I had to go restructure my cap table, which now I'm good and everything's all good. But that's what led me to not wanting to raise any more VC. I was bitter in a way. I was, it, was a, it was a negative experience because, you know, but I had to learn too, don't take it personal because venture capital is a business. They're in the business of making money. They're not in the business of helping you. They're not your friend. They're in the business of making money. And they're going to set up the documents beneficial for them. That's why as a, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, you need to draft your own term sheets, draft your own documents, and come up with terms that are beneficial to you and meet them at the table and try to come to a common ground. Don't just take whatever they give you. That's what I did. They were like, oh, these are standard docs. Take these. I'm like, okay, standard docs. Standard for who? Standard for you to win and me to lose. That's what they were. Gee, don't. Are you? I went off. I know, I'll go off. I'll be going off. God, like... I got to go listen to this episode about five times to even dissect the portion of this stuff. Sorry. Yo, are you? Huh? I mean, Dawn, you don't know. The information you just share is going to save someone from losing their company. Yes, I hope so. Like, that class B, class A stock stuff, owning, owning, you can own a small percentage of the company, but if you own the voting rights... And if you have super voting rights, which is something I just found out about, super voting rights means 
It can set up where one of your votes is worth six votes to theirs. So even if you are all voting and everybody votes against you, your votes are worth way more than everybody else's and you still win. That's why Mark Zuckerberg can't be fired. He will never be fired from, from Facebook, no matter what he does. Jeez. But do you got mentors now? Like, do you learn all of this from just being in the field? Like, I, you, I learned you know, this from. I'm not trying. Like, when I say, like, I'm gonna be trying to like, Dawn is this amazing. When I tell you, I'm like, I think you're incredible. Like, I'm not trying to just say. I believe. I'm like, you're one of the most intelligent individuals that I ever had a conversation with, and who knows her stuff. Like, when you just talk, you're so confident. I'm like, I need to invest with her. Like. I, I, <laughs> I need to be a part of whatever she got out here in this world because I know if she's going in that room to go represent me. I know if she's going to go pitch, she's going to come out here with the check. She's going to come out here with the with not the stand, not standard for them, but the rules that we are our standard rules so we can win. Yes. So I just want I, I'm just amazed of how incredible you are, to be honest Thank with you. It's crazy. You asked about mentors and I have peer mentors. I learned this the hard way. I went through Techstars, which is one of the top technology accelerator programs in the world. They didn't teach me this because, again, they're investors. They taught me about how to run a technology company. It was very valuable. What they didn't teach me is about ownership, is about control, because they are my investor. They cut a check. They're in it to make money. It's not a fucking, excuse me, it's not charity. It's not a handout. It's not, it's not them trying to be my friend. It's them trying to groom me to make them money. So I learned these things from the hard way, you know, making mistakes, um, having to pay for those mistakes. And from my peers, I I'm very grateful to have an amazing community of friends and, and what I consider now like my family in the black tech community and the overall tech community, not just black, but I have friends of, you know, all races in tech that we mentor each other. You know, when we, when we, something's messed up, we share like, man, I just got my investors is, you know, it was messed up. Or I have a really good investor. You should meet them because they're cool. You know, so we share stories, you know, go to war together. Um, actually, Frederick Hudson of Pigeonly taught me about super voting rights and super shares because I'm like, I don't want to lose control of my company. And I feel it happening. And he taught me about that. None of my lawyers, I hired the top law firms in the country. Wilson Sincini was my law, was my attorney out of San Francisco. They didn't teach me that. I have five law firms that I was working with over the past couple of years top some greenberg Troyrex, some of the top law firms in the country none of them were advocating for founders rights none of them were advocating for me to keep control of my company they were all giving me these cookie cutter vc friendly docs and that's what they're giving all of us so you know a lot of the entrepreneurs that we see and celebrate for raising money you know they don't have any ownership and in a in a couple of years we're going to see and, and we're going to all learn and we're all learning from all of our experiences and I'm not saying I'm better than anybody. I learned the hard way too. And you know, I had to struggle a lot because I didn't want to take a lot of money, but I feel really good about the route that I'm going because I control my company and I can see my vision through without someone interfering with the vision before it's executed. Ooh, mm. see a vision through before someone interfere with the vision that's being executed. Ownership, wow. Yeah. So, um, any other thing in a minute, I want to kind of talk about what some of the things you got going on. I think we gave so much game on the podcast. Somebody, you got to go dissect this and see how you can apply it to your life. Anything else people should look out for as they're pitching, as they're raising funds? Um, 
any other thing that is like super valuable that you like, man, I wish I would have known this or this messed me up, look out for this, anything else that you would say. Um, and most of our listeners are uh, just getting the six or getting the seven figures to kind of break that eight. So yeah. anything along those lines that would be helpful, let us know as well. Yeah, and shout out to them six, seven, and eight figures. That's what's up, y'all. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's amazing. I love that circle of greatness. I mean, I would say keep focusing on revenue. That is cash is king. You know, when this tech bubble bursts, and it will, like everything else, when you're generating revenue, that's, that's what matters the most. I mean, I gave you guys everything that I wish I knew before about the docs, about lifetime value, about, you know, those, those type of keywords. Another thing is have your financials in and out. I remember when I first started, I would get anxiety when I looked at a spreadsheet and, and they say, we want to see five-year financial projections. And I'm like, okay, I got to pay somebody to do it. And every time I would say, I'm gonna pay somebody to do it, I really didn't understand it because it was coming out of their brain. I locked myself in the house. It took me three days and I did my own financial model just so that I could understand how to build a financial model. Then I went to New Me Accelerator in San Francisco with Angela Bitten, and she taught me how to really do a tech financial model for a software company and scalable, a scalable model. And once I learned that, I felt empowered because knowing your money, like that's where you see everybody getting burned. We started rich black people, wealthy rappers, actors. What did it talk about? So-and-so took my money. So-and-so scammed them because they're not keeping track of their money. Stay on top of your money. Know your numbers inside and out. Never say, I'm not a numbers person. Then you're not a CEO. You're not a boss. You're not an entrepreneur because that's what it is. It's a numbers person. That's what you got to be. And so know your numbers. Understand your KPIs. Key performance indicators. Understand your metrics. Like That's what it's about. What are you doing this for? You ever seen that, that post on Instagram that talks about what has to happen to make a million dollars? And it breaks it down with like this much money a day, this much money. You need to know that about your business. How many customers do you need to hit your revenue goal? How every day? We had it broken down to the minute, but flat out, we need to sell, you know, $5 a minute, like just to hit our goals for the year. Mm. We'll figure it out. And that means maybe some days you'll do $100 an hour, you know, but you have to balance it out. You have to understand. So like know your numbers inside and out, like live and breathe the numbers yeah wow geez you dropping so much game so dawn you got again you got flat out which you just did an amazing partnership i want you to talk about your new invention i want to want you to talk about popcom because it's revolutionary um you are revolutionary i want you to talk about it kind of where you are with that what you doing what you got involved and how can we get involved with that? I kind of want to hear that. Yeah, um, so long story short, I'm a condense it in one with 60 seconds. Gotcha. I had a business called Flat Out of Hills 2011, wanted to sell shoes and vending machines because when women's feet hurt and they're at the club, they can't go to the store. You need a vending machine direct to customer distribution. I always felt that vending is brilliant because whatever you need is right there on the spot. Typically it's food and beverage, but why can't you buy any product? That was my thought. When I had this idea, I couldn't find anybody to build a vending machine for me. They were like, yeah, we'll build it for a million dollars. Legitimately told me a million dollars, they would do it. Then other people would say, no, we don't want to touch this. It, it's not worth it. It's not worth our while. Couldn't get anybody to build it. I was like, F it. I'm going to start my own company and build my own. I'm going to find me a, you know, a mechanical engineer, electrical engineer, and I'm going to have somebody who just messes around with metal to build me up some equipment. That's what I did. I found a guy in the UK. We worked together. He built my very first vending machines under the company that's now called Popcom. 
Then I placed my very first flat out of hills machine in the Atlanta airport, number one airport in the world for passenger traffic, performing well relatively because I didn't really know how well they were performing. At the time, these machines did not have any capability to calculate conversions or give me any data about performance. All I could track every day was how many pairs of shoes I sold based on the total number of dollars that I collected. It wasn't even like a system that tells me five pairs of shoes to be like, okay, I got $100, must have sold five pairs of shoes. It was just not, just not advanced in any way, not connected, no Wi-Fi connectivity, no receipts, anything. So I decided that in order to scale, grow my business, I need data. I mean, that's the foundation of growing your business is relying on your sales data, your customer data, and future projections, and then working with those together. But without that fundamental data of who are your customers and what are your sales, you can't do anything. You can't grow. So I knew that if I really wanted to expand this new direct-to-customer distribution outlet of vending, it needed some data. I needed to validate this through data. And so I decided I was going to pivot the company from just building hardware, dumb hardware essentially, to building software that is powering smart vending and smart kiosks. So we're essentially an operating system and a data analytics platform that we've developed, um, which is very similar to Shopify and Google Analytics, but for vending. And now vending has expanded to kiosks. And we all use kiosks. All of us have used a kiosk, whether it's checking in at the airport, checking out at the grocery store, buying some headphones on the go, buying some makeup. We've all used vending machines, buying a soda, but I don't work on those types. I work on the more high-tech machines. So we developed this software and I realized, okay, wait a minute, I got to go back to hardware because I've developed this software that integrates face recognition, artificial intelligence, and blockchain technology, but the hardware isn't up to par with what I'm building. <coughs> Excuse me. So I had to go back to drawing board and invent, me personally invent some hardware that really demonstrates the power of my software. So imagine having this amazing iOS from your iPhone or whatever the Android platform is um, and no device to use it on. So I have this amazing software, but the hardware wasn't right. So um, in 2000 and beginning 2017, decided to go ahead and invent another uh, piece of hardware. It's called the Pop Shop and it integrates two cameras um, into the vending machine, two cameras and two screens. You can check this out on my website, popcom.shop, or on my Instagram, it's everywhere. But what it does is, it uses anonymized face recognition. Anonymized means we don't know who you are. We turn your face into a biometric hash. A biometric hash is a series of numbers and letters that represent your face. So Neo, we capture your face, we turn your face into numbers and letters, like some matrix, like some matrix stuff. And Crazy. you can't tell it's Neo unless you say, let them know it's me. And the way you do that is through the blockchain and through the ledger on the blockchain and through your private key, which only you can unlock your data with your private key on the blockchain. So this way, not only do we keep customer data secure, but we also give the retailer enough data to understand who the customer are, who the customers are. So they'll say, here's a male around this age. We don't know, we don't know Nehemiah Davis, but it's a male around this age. That's enough for you to understand who your shoppers are. But if they want you to share your identity, then they have to incentivize you, give you a discount, give you, do something to get, to get your data because the days of them free willy and stealing data is about to be over. The, the public, the government, everybody's tired of it because the breaches are just getting to be overwhelming. 
So we're building technology for the future where the customers control their data. And also technology that really takes the friction completely out of you know, the transaction with the hardware. So one more example, if you go to the grocery store today, you wanna buy wine or beer, you wanna self checkout, you can't because you'll have to have a person come and check your ID to verify that you're 21. That's friction, that means something's interfering with you completing your transaction that is a human being. We take the friction out because we can verify your face and your identity and your ID at the point of sale so you can go ahead and purchase that alcohol, cannabis, or get your prescription drugs from a vending machine. And that is what our technology fundamentally is, is just making anything be available for sale in an automated way, like it is in Japan and China, which I've definitely spent time in, and I'm headed back to China actually this week. Now, all that said, and you heard me talk about ownership, you heard me talk about control. I was very firm that I didn't want to raise another significant round of venture capital. I already raised a million until my product was out. I've had several challenges, lots of L's, lots of struggles in the journey, but we're there where the product is developed, prototyped, and now we have two patents pending. Now it's time to mass produce and bring it to market, but I needed more money. So when I thought about how I can get more money, keep in mind, I can't sell it yet because it's not built. I have to go get money from other people. And then I start thinking like, okay, I really am passionate about, you know, educating my community about wealth creation in my community. And I'm really, I really want to be able to take money from people in my network. And if I go the traditional VC route, which is open around the funding, say a million dollars, you go around to San Francisco, New York, and the cities, get these checks, 10,000, 25,000 might be the minimum, up to a couple hundred thousand, you get this money from accredited investors. An accredited investor either is an individual who makes $200,000 a year and is worth net worth of a million, or a couple that makes 300,000 a year combined, or then of course a net worth or a fund, a venture capital fund, or private equity fund made up of accredited individuals who put their money into a fund, then have a fund manager go out and choose companies and invest in, that's how they get their return. That eliminates and leaves out everybody that I know. Can't be my mom, because my mom and my family not accredited. Not my homies, they're, they're doing well, but they not millionaires yet, so they can't invest. My Instagram followers, my, 50, 60,000 people that really rock with me and they want to see me win. And I would love to put some money in their pocket when I, you know, when I'm growing my business. So our forever president, Obama, passed a law in 2012 called the Jobs Act, Jumpstart Our Business Startups. And it's a law under SEC rules, Title III, Regulation CF. Look it up on the SEC website, Title III, Regulation CF. It's a whole page about it where now, for the first time in the history of the United States of America, unaccredited, non-accredited investors can invest in privately held companies for equity. Now, in the past, the only way for you to invest is to wait for a company to IPO, initial public offering, go on a stock exchange, and then you buy the stock. Before this, you had to get a stock broker. Now, you can go on Stash app, Robinhood, and buy your own stocks. That's, a, that's groundbreaking as well. But keep in mind, you're not likely to get very rich off of companies on the, on the public market because the wealth is created pre-IPO. You see the news today about Lyft doing their sold out IPO? Probably in a ton of black faces in that, on that at the table getting early stock in Lyft. So to get in early on an early stage company with a high growth potential, you have to be rich already.
So it's like this. You got to be rich to get rich. Get rich to get richer. You can't invest with the rich if you're poor. So you can't get rich if you're poor with them. But thanks to this new law, you can. And it's called, crowd, it's called equity crowdfunding. And so I decided that I wanted to do that. And there is, there is a caveat. You only can raise a million 70,000 per 12 month calendar year under this law, but that's a lot of money. A million dollars is a lot of money and you can do a lot with it. And so I decided to do that. And um, I jumped out on a limb. My investors, come. some of them are very supportive. I have, prior to this round, I had 15 investors uh, private accredited angels and venture capital firms, including Backstage Capital, Techstars, and several other VC firms. And a couple of them looked me in my face and said, listen, if you do this, we're never investing again because we don't want to invest alongside all these people because they care about themselves. So I took a risk. It was a risk and I was blackballed for about five months and it was a painful time. And I, and I used my personal credit, maxed out. I used all my savings. This is last summer. 2018, all the money in my savings, maxed out all of my personal credit capabilities to keep my business going while I waited for the SEC to approve me to raise money like this. It took five months. They ran me through the ringer. They ran me through all these bad actor checks. Everybody, I mean, on my team had to go through checks. They had all my personal, I mean, personal finances, my whole life history, all my business stuff. Every single word that I said, I had to show a source. So if I said something like, when I make a statement like, um, the kiosk, the vending machine industry is going to grow to $39 billion in 2021. Where? Tell me, show me it. Facts. I had to, everything on my start engine page is verified. It's good and bad. It's good because now everybody knows they can invest with confidence. It's bad because they put me through the ringer. But now... I finally can do it. So the, the sale after months of struggle and waiting and burning through all of our cash and building products, and it was a hard time for our team. The sale went live on December 19th. And the maximum that we will take is $943,000 because I wanted to only raise a certain amount, even though the legal amount is a million, I still wanted to keep my equity. And when you're at this stage and I have an 8 million valuation, which is what my company's worth now, 8 million, every $10,000 counts. It all counts. And I'm telling you, I own, I think right now, 48% and it's worth 8 million. So I'm technically a millionaire, right? Like if you go on off the net worth, but you know, I want liquid. So we released it on the 19th. And as of today, we have raised in this way, $705,000 from the public in a token sale. I haven't even talked about token because it's overwhelming, but we're doing a token, which is essentially a cryptocurrency uh, as a security. So, and I got a lot of, I have 1,200 people that have invested, many of those black, many of them is their very first ever investment in anything. And for my life and my life purpose, I, I feel fulfilled. I feel like I won because I've exposed my community to something that they've never seen before. And, and it's a catalyst to what can happen and what we can do when we really exercise group economics. Jeez. Man, you crazy. <laughs> no joke. Listen to me. So right now, first off, you tell me anybody who's watching this, listening to it, they have the ability to invest right now. Right now. Talk. How can we do it? Because I think that's something urgent people could do. This could be that. This could be that investment where it's like, yo, I had the opportunity to invest, 
You ever seen Netflix or Google or Apple? If you would have invested, it won't be that. If you would have invested in Amazon when Amazon start, everyone who initially invested in Amazon that. is worth hundreds of millions right now. True. True. So you're saying you, you're predicting. I'm not making any guarantees. Let me give you an example. My very, my very first investor who invested in 2012, his investment, I mean, I could say this because it's, it's, it's public information. It's on Third Engine. He invests 90000 His investment is now worth 688000 He invested ninety. dollars And the product isn't even out yet. My company was valued at $4 million in 2017. 2018, it was worth $8 I haven't even got a new valuation done because I'm not going to get a new valuation done until the summer when the product comes out, when I get more revenue, which I, I know for a fact, I can say this with confidence, I will have a higher valuation, which means the value of the shares will be higher. So that's what it's about. So your question, they can go to startengine.com forward slash popcom, P-O-P-C-O-M, and the minimum investment is $252. And you sign up and you invest either with your credit card or with a wire and you are now, you know, invested and you now have tokens, which represent shares. In 2018, the SEC passed another monumental law around the tokenization of a security. A security is essentially a share. You own, you sell securities, you're selling shares in a company. So the SEC now allows Securities to be tokenized, which means instead of me sending you a stock certificate, because in the past you invest in a stock, you get a paper in the mail, like a certificate. And that's how you cash in your stock, by a paper certificate. Now they've taken it digital and turned it into a token that you store in your own personal wallet, which is a digital wallet with a digital share. That's all that a token is, a digital share. So I'm selling digital shares in my business it's called a secure token offering, and it. I know that I'm the. I know that I'm the first black woman, and I think you know the first black person to raise this much money in the form of a secure token offering. And I can't wait to see thousands more of us do this. Wow. So two things I want to say first. First off, listen. If you listen to this right now, I want you to actually stop listening to this. Right. Like literally. Stop listening to this, guys. I want you to go to the website, startengine.com, backslash, popcom. Forward slash. Forward slash, pardon me, popcom, because I don't want, and we're going to drop it in the show notes. We're going to share it on here, guys. You had the ability, and guys, as you've been listening to the podcast, I haven't sold anything. I'm not going to pitch you anything, but when it's something I believe in, when it's a person I believe in, when they're highly educated, and ultimately, it's going to benefit you. I want you to take action on it. And Dawn, I don't even know if you know, but now I got to buy more. But I just bought three shares before the call even started. I had my assistant go buy me three shares. So I am officially invested. I own three. Well, I have three digital shares of the company. I'm going to have to have more. My question to you is, because you mentioned this, should I? would it be more beneficial for me if I grouped a group of people together and we bought these as one or should I just tell people go do your no, own? You should, you should invest as an individual because it's not set up for that. And I want you to understand something too. The minimum investment is $252. The share price is 18 cents. So really for 252, your assistant probably didn't tell you when she did that. You actually probably have thousand shares. 
Hold, hold, hold on. Wait, how much is it? Let me do a calculation on my phone. Yeah. I got three. I had. I own three shares right now. Not three. Here we go. Two fifty-two mm -hmm. divided by eighteen cents. Fourteen hundred shares. So if you Ooh. invested the minimum, you have fourteen hundred shares. No. So hold on. Times three. I got forty-two hundred shares. Then right now. Okay. Boom. Yes, you do. Wow. So imagine that. Whoa. Listen to so me, guys. And I was investing right in anywhere. Now, I'm not, I'm not making promises or guarantees. I'm not legally allowed to do that. They're worth 18 cents right now. Imagine when they're worth a dollar, ten dollars, mm. twenty. Jeez. Well, listen, I'm I'm invested, so I'm 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 excited. And uh, Dawn, I'm just I'm really excited for you because, like I said, I stand behind anything you do. Um, you're incredible. You're intelligent. You're you're a legend to me. Like you 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 go out in the forefront, and you okay with not doing it right. You okay with doing it right. So many people don't are afraid to take that leap. How important is taking that leap, and what keeps you taking the leap every time? Because I'm sure, it like you said, you fought through five months. Most people would have quit at the first sign of setback. They left you me for dead. They left me for dead, and I had already raised a million dollars, and they left me for dead. And I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm doing this my way. And they offered me money. They were like, here's a lifeline, but it's going to cost you. You can do a down round. You're worth $8 million. Take this money out of $3 million. Hell no. No, I'd rather starve. How about that? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chill. I'm going to be eating fruit and salads and, you know, ramen noodles, you know, whatever it takes because I'm not giving you my business. So it, it worked out. But um, the reason I do it is because, I deeply, deeply care. I'm, I've been an entrepreneur 18 years, a black female entrepreneur. I've seen all of this. I've seen this whole entrepreneur unfold where it's a popular thing and it's on Shark Tank and everybody want to do it and people are failing and I care about the culture. I don't want to see any more black founders losing their companies, removed from their companies as CEOs, losing control of their companies. Um, it's happening too much. And you know, I think because nobody's speaking out. I have a daughter. You know, I have nephews, I have family, I have people I care about. I, I, I have a deep love for, for entrepreneurship and, and especially for my culture. So what I do, I feel like we're in the civil rights movement of access to capital. And I feel that, you know, I want to do whatever I can to advance our culture to be able to have a more level playing field because we as a culture and community have the disposable income and the resources to fund our own ventures in our own communities. I'm not a person that's, you know, that doesn't believe in being inclusive. I do, but I also believe in pride in your culture and supporting your own that I think everybody should do. And we just lack that as a community a lot of times. And we're coming around when it comes to real estate. A lot of blacks are into real estate, you know, even stock market. Let's get in early on these tech companies, y'all. Not just mine. This is what I say too. I always say this. Popcom may not be your thing. And that's okay, because the people invest in people and things that they're interested in. StartEngine.com has so many companies you can invest in. Republic.co has so many companies you can invest in. You can find something that aligns with your personal mission to invest in. Invest in something. The only way to create wealth is to invest in something, period. That's what I call a lot of heat, people. Listen to me. I'm so grateful, Dawn, for today's episode. Um, I wanna, we want to close it out, but Dawn, very quickly, if you could just walk through the process, 
go to the website. Is, is it straight to hit the invest button? I want to make this as, as you yeah, say, yeah. frictionless as possible. Frictionless. So kind of go through it very quickly. So very fast. Exactly what they do. Very easy. Startengine.com forward slash popcom. Click invest now. Going to ask you to create an account. That's where your shares are stored. So you want to recreate this account. They're going to ask you for your name, address, bank account information. Purchase. It's like buying a pair of sneakers, wow. but now you got shares. It's like buying a pair of sneakers, but now you got shares. Wow. And I see, I saw that you was just on the Breakfast Club. You you were just all over. I mean. Yeah, the Breakfast Club was big for us. It yeah. it, it was created a, between the Karen Hunter show and the Breakfast Club. We raised $600,000 in two weeks. Wow. Whoa. That's incredible. Yeah. And uh, I'm just happy that I'm an investor. So, guys, listen to me. We're going to come to a close. Any final words, Dawn, you want to share with our audience? Or maybe anything you want to share with the audience? It's just, it's, just, it's just invest in yourself, invest in your community, and be true to yourself. That's it. There we go. So, guys, with that being said, uh, today was another incredible, incredible episode. Um, I want to say welcome because I know there's going to be several people going to take action. You're going to be a part of history. I know I'm happy that I'm now a part of history and I know you're going to be happy as well once you decide to take action as well. So I want to say thank you guys so much for tuning in for Accelerate the Great. Please, any other, uh, I know Startup Engine, any other way you want them to follow you? Instagram, another website, are we, anything else, Dawn? I'm Dawn Dixon, D-I-C-K-S-O-N on all platforms, especially follow my Medium blog. I have a lot of great content if you're interested in the step-by-step -step guide on how to do an ICO and an STO, go to my Medium. I've been journaling since last April 2018. Everything is there. I want to educate people. Also, my podcast is called Bars. We're on Apple Music, Spotify, and Google. I literally give you the entire blueprint to start a business on my podcast everything and i heard it was fire so i'm about to go guys go subscribe this all gonna be on the show notes how to invest her her website her instagram everything but the quickest thing you want to do right now is take action because once she hit that cap we can't invest so well i'm already invested so i'm cool but it's about you guys so again guys thank you so much for tuning in to accelerate the great Please, please, please go follow Dawn. Please support Dawn and uh, take action on your goals and dreams because this is going to help us win. Remember, we can't wait for someone to save us. We got to save ourselves. With that being said, guys, this is a wrap for Accelerate the Great. We hope you enjoyed this particular episode. I know I did. It was absolutely incredible. It was life-changing, and I know it's going to be super beneficial to you. So with that being said, guys, please like, subscribe, yes. share, and rate this episode, and we will see you guys on the next episode. Have a good one. Peace.